And I realized that there's only two ways of operating. It's either from a place of love or a place of fear. And Mm -hmm. if you're operating from a place of fear, you really can't be open to the love that's around us, right? But if you're operating from a place of love, fear doesn't stand a chance. Hi, everyone. It's Raghu. I'm back with Mind Rolling. And my guest today is Mike Fenoya, like Sequoia. We went through a whole thing just now to get that straight, Mike. Welcome. (laughs) Thank you for having me back. It's great to see you. How's things? Oh, everything's uh, as good as it can be in our world today, which is a tough one. Um, But uh, so everyone... Um, of course, I've uh, done stuff with Mike before and uh, with his partner, O'Toole Burbridge, on Comes a Time, their wonderful podcast. Uh, please you. do check it out. And, and of course, uh, Mike uh, is a, uh, a traveling comedian going around. He's, he's doing it right now, doing um, the comedy club circuit and so on. So, yeah. So we haven't talked in a long time. And um, those of you uh, who uh, know uh, Mind Rolling well know that my interest lies in how can we help each other on a day-to-day basis of just getting a lot more balanced and uh, being able to work with our lives in a way that's uh, contributing to those around us. So I just wanted to catch up with Mike because uh, he's he's got some things that have gone on that I think would be wonderful to share. So I'm going to leave it to you right now to do a little bit of sharing. Sharing okay. is caring. Sharing is caring. Thank you. And uh, that day-to-day basis uh, falls in line perfectly because listening to you and reaching out to all the resources that are just sometimes on our phones or whatever help a lot. But, uh, yeah, the past year I, I, I hit a weird, um, I've always had anxiety. I've always had a bit of panic and depression, uh, but it was always manageable in some way, shape or form. Either it would pass like a storm cloud and I just had to, you know, seek shelter during the, Mm. you know, rainy times. But, um, this past, but about a year or so ago, a, a cloud rolled in and turned into a fog that sort of just stayed and I couldn't find my way out of it. And, uh, it became really terrifying and, uh, it started to affect me physically, um, mm. waking up at three or four in the morning with like, just from the moment my eyes opened to the moment my eyes closed at night was just sheer panic. And I'm not really sure about what. Uh, it seemed like I was just setting up in the worst case scenario and operating from there all day and sort of assumed that the world was there with me. And that sort of became my reality. And it really started to affect my career. It started to affect my relationships. It started to affect my my health. Um, I don't know if I was suicidal, but I was exhausted. Mm. I was just downright exhausted with life. And, uh, normally when I would have a bout of anxiety or panic, I could remind myself that, okay, this is, this happens every now and then this is in passing. Let's figure out, meditate, let's get outside, let's, you know, read whatever I used to go to. 
for some reason there was like static. I was just surrounded by a, you know, those old TVs when the cable goes out, you know, mm. they were just surrounding me. And I, uh, I was terrified and I didn't really know who to turn to or how to turn to. I, I turned to my wife who's in healthcare. Um, I reached out to some, you know, therapists and medical professionals and, uh, sort of just surrendered and broke, broke it down and, uh, met with a couple people, one being a psychologist, a psychiatrist. And we sat down and like went through everything that I was feeling and going through. And I embarked on a ketamine treatment for therapy. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. In conjunction with, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. And, uh, it was successful and adding on an, a medication down the road. But this period of time where I was sort of like in a tunnel and I couldn't really see the either end, but I knew there was no going back. Um, and that was a really terrifying, but also so, sobering and centering. I don't, I don't think I've ever felt more present in the fear that I was living. Um, and it was a really terrifying and all encompassing time. It wasn't all imaginary. Obviously, we're coming out of two years of lockdown. Um, you know, I travel and I'm in, I'm in person all the time for work. So that was kind of just starting to ramp back up. And that was all weird. That alone would have been enough to kind of send some people on an anxiety spin. Uh, add in the politics and the rhetoric and the hate and just the inherent fear that just seemed to be everywhere. And I you want to throw like in I, throw in environmental degradation, racial injustice, economic injustice. I mean, you've already mentioned the gigantic polarization. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and you know what it felt like? It felt like everything had a thousand pound weight attached to it. Like everything, every mm. thought, every, and I couldn't escape it. And you know, my wife works in healthcare, as I'd mentioned, and I'm when I'm not performing, I was sort of sitting at home alone, ruminating and getting deeper into almost analyzing mental health to the point where I was overdoing it. You know, when you start to almost WebMD yourself into yeah, a, <laughs> every a real type lab. of cancer in the world yeah, and all that. Yeah. But uh, I went to a, I started to do a little bit of research and I found a doctor who, um, you know, I've been to a lot of therapists and I study a lot about, you know, different types of psychotherapy and talk therapy. Every time I've been to a therapist, the first day is always tell me about yourself. So I wanted to beat her to the punch. So I sat down a day or two before and I wrote out mm. literally just a timeline of events in my life that have happened, things that over the pandemic sort of resurfaced or things that started to really kind of like weigh on me. And I was just sobbing like pages into this. I was just, I had to start over cause the paper was wet, <laughs> you know? And, and, uh, no. but it was such a cathartic and painful, uh, moment doing that. And I made two copies of it and I went into the doctor the next day and I handed it to her. And I, I, I said, I just want to feel okay. I don't know what's going on with me, but I'm not okay. And, uh, we talked, she went through, she goes, just on the first page alone, I could see you probably have some PTSD and you probably have some, you know, and we talked about medication I've tried and all different, mm. you know, avenues of 
self-diagnosis and help and all of that. And it's an untreated depression, essentially, was what I was, you know, what we kind of came to the diagnosis of and how sometimes those uh, untreated depressions or sadness will manifest themselves as the inability to focus, uh, anger, uh, short temperedness, uh, an inability to sleep, bad appetite, like things like that, you know? And, uh, Oh shit, I'm depressed. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's like, Oh, okay. That makes complete sense. Um, so she, she had recommended, um, you know, ketamine as a, as Mm. a form of kind of a quick acting antidepressant. And, uh, I have experience with psychedelics as, you know, help for the, just getting out of your own way, Mm. uh, maybe lifting the veil and being able to be open to the love that is all around us that we sometimes forget about. Mm. Um, so I spoke with my wife about it and, uh, we decided to go forward with it and I did it. And with the uh, therapist, with the ther- yes, with the doctor, and then in in tandem with a cognitive behavioral therapist, which really incredible um, method of talk therapy, where you're actually given tools and tips and tasks when you get into these sort of you know cycles of thought, where you stop yourself and you say, how much evidence is there that what I'm thinking is true? Uh, is there any foundation to this? Is this just me, you know, the voice kind of going on and on? Um, is is there any counter evidence? You know, on a scale of one to a hundred, what are the odds that this is actually happening? Type thing. And it's uh, there's a lot of um, exposure therapy. So if you have a fear of something in particular, you expose yourself to it. Um, and I didn't even really necessarily know, nor do I think I still know what a lot of my fear and panic was about. I just think it was a lot of things at once and I it's sort of whatever straw broke my back I just hit a rough slide and couldn't find my way out of it. I said to Oteil on our podcast where uh if a normal anxiety attack is like a little grease fire on the stovetop like my whole kitchen was up in flames mm-hmm. like the whole time I was awake and I just couldn't find the door to get out. Um which is kind of hopefully explains that constant panicky feeling. Um so I did the treatment and, uh, you know, you go for twice a week for the first four weeks, uh, you get an IV, uh, oh. which I'm petrified of needles, oh, absolutely shit. terrified of needles. The first time I got the needle, I passed out cold on the ground. No. Oh, yeah. And I was shit. on the floor crying going, I can't even heal right. Oh, like here God. we are. Oh. And, and, and I went in with so much hope because I felt hopeless. I mean, honestly, I, I was like, if this doesn't work, I don't know what else is what else is left. Um, and uh, so most people who can handle a needle in their hand sit in a recliner, a leather recliner, and sort of lounge back, and you could put on music and an eye mask. Uh, but there was one hospital bed in the back, which is my room. <laughs> so I laid there, and they did the IV from yeah. the bedside. Yeah. And, uh, you know, unlike any other psychedelic, I think, um, I, this was a a very unique experience when I would feel the effects of the medication. Um, it was almost like I was lucidly dreaming and observing myself. I was experiencing and observing at the same time. And I felt myself dealing with a lot of my 
inherent subconscious fears without even trying to. And I, I was suspended in reacting, if that makes any sense. For example, I, t- I tend to get claustrophobic and I felt walls on either side of me at one point in one of my experiences. And I just had to tell myself, wait it out. It's going to be okay. Like there's no, you can't, we're in it. The plane has taken off. There's no ejection seat, you know? Um, I felt the feeling of kind of hanging upside down at times and traveling towards things that I thought I would crash into and everything just dissolved and was fine. And I started to, through the therapy, through the treatment, um, I started to develop a sense of patience and a sense of um, something I think I've never experienced before in my adult life, which was just weight, just patience. This, this, my life has always been reaction. Um, it's been something that I feel like I have to be quick to react or else I'll be forgotten, mm. uh, quick mm. to react or else I'll be, you know, uh, maybe not the first picked for a gig or whatever it may be, uh, love. Um, and then I'd kind of always do a post game show where I'd go, how did I handle that? What did I do wrong? Who do I owe an apology to? Who do I owe a thank you to? Who do I owe a follow-up to? And then I'd react on that and post-game that. And it's just this cycle of react and regret, you know, over and over and over. And uh, this gave me kind of a different view of wait a minute, wait an hour, wait a day, wait, just wait, just breathe, just take a moment and let this pass. And I was able to kind of come out with some clarity and some tools and some honest realizations with myself that like, I have a, a something that just sets me up in the, in the worst case versus the best case or more the realistic mm-hmm. case that I need to be aware of and that I need to be cognizant of and that it might be a lifelong battle and it might be something that, you know, I, I need to be honest with myself about. And, uh, since I've had that experience and I feel like I'm sort of out of the other end of the tunnel, sort of, I can look back at that person a year ago and I I have to say, I feel like it's a whole other person. It's like, literally, I don't even remember being, that person at, at, in some ways. Like I think about how terrified I was of nothing, just absolute to overcome with fear of, of everything that I don't even, I don't even, I feel like I'm a whole different person mm. wow. and it's a sobering experience and it's a liberating experience because I feel more clear now than I think I ever have. And I think that just as much as these experiences with, you know, the ketamine treatment and medication for uh, anti for you know depression and the therapy, all of them in tandem helped. I think it was a whole all hands on deck approach, and I have two amazing doctors that I I give them all of the credit for saving my life. I think, and you know the, these two women were were just they, I met with them regularly. Mm-hmm. more often maybe than some of their other patients. You know, I start when I first started doing this, I was going to the talk therapy like three times a week. Wow. And and it was uh it it was a really unbelievably uh profound experience on all levels. And uh 
I, we, I, we talked about it on the podcast and it took me a long time to talk about it. And then I, we recorded it and then I said, can we sit on it for like a week or two? Mm-hmm. Just cause I wasn't sure how I felt about talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then once we put it out, you know, folks reached out that were just like, I really appreciate you talking about this. And I feel like I could talk to my husband or my, uh, you know, I'm a college student and I didn't think anybody else felt the way that I did physically. And I really appreciate you talking about this. And it kind of put the, you know, reality in my head that like, we all have to talk about the, the rough patches that we go through because I had felt so unbelievably alone. And once I started to talk about it and then other people would go, Oh yeah, I've felt that way for a year or two as well. And it's like, Oh, okay. Like it's, we have these mm-hmm. dips and we have these chasms that we fall into and, and they're terrifying. And when you don't have a lifeline or when you don't have someone to, you know, chat about it with, I mean, it's the loneliness, like, yeah. no, I don't ever want anyone to feel it, you know? Yeah. So yeah. I, 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 it was, it was rough. Yeah. There was a lot of days of just crying and, I don't know. I mean, I'm getting kind of like uh, losing my breath a little bit talking about it right now just because it was uh, to look back and think about how rough some of those days were, you know? Yeah. I mean, I had thoughts of just telling my wife, like, just please go. Like, go. you don't need to deal with this. Like, I'm, mm. I'm, I am I'm, felt like a burden to everyone. Yeah. I was saying I'm sorry and thank you probably more than any words. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, well, it, 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 was, it, was t- it was difficult. Mm. Wow. The beauty and well, two things come to mind. One is, what's that Leonard Cohen song? You know, there's a crack in all of us, and that's what lets the light through. So until yeah. you get cracked, I mean, really seeing, I mean, this comes from, you know, Ramdas used to say this all the time. It actually comes directly from our guru, Neem Karoli Baba. Uh, I love suffering. It brings me closer to God. Now, of course, he wasn't experiencing anything like that. So it, it was Ramdas who who coined that. And yeah. nobody is asking for it. But the reality is this is the nature of our, the fabric of life is, as the Buddha said, suffering. And that's what he realized right. when he became enlightened. And yeah. so... Without that, there's no chance whatsoever to transform, right? There just isn't. The other thing that strikes me is, um, you know, talking about it in public, which you have a platform to do so, and the reality of what people, that sharing and what it does for people and what community is, we call it satsang in the, you know, the Eastern word for it, uh, is invaluable, that is what it's, it's what we are all about. It's, that kind of sharing allows us to individually and collectively uh, transform, you know, so yeah. uh, right on. You know, the thought of, thank you. And, and that, that notion of kind of, you know, we know all of life is suffering. I mean, from everything that we, you know, study and learn and read, you know, if you're, if you're into what you know we are and and that notion helped me so much to get through some really 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 bad parts like you know when and if if anybody's gone through a, a bout or a spell of you know depression or a panic or whatever uh 
it's like a bad trip where it's the seconds feel like years and the minutes feel like eons. And it's just like the whole, I, the time just feels life just feels heavy and exhausting and remembering that all of life is suffering and that just down the road, someone's dealing with someone, something just as bad, if not worse. And maybe it's a, you know, an ill, a sick child or, you know, homelessness or hunger or whatever, like that, the, the understanding that we're all in it together, suffering with yep. something. Yep. It's a weird way to feel community, Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's a, it's a, but do you know what I mean? It's like, there's this somehow this collective suffering that makes us all beautiful and, uh, we should be empathetic. That should be the one and only reason we need to be empathetic and caring and loving towards each other. Yeah, absolutely. Right. The other thing to note, though, as the Buddhists say, since we're uh, talking about the Buddha, is every it's uh, to grasp uh, in the beginning intellectually, but the deeper reality of impermanence in which people think that's shitty impermanent oh i just fell in love you mean that's not going to last no yeah. <laughs> it's not but neither is depression <laughs> right. right neither it's is true. depression and and to know when you get that a little bit more in one's bones and you know that's through practice and meditative practice is is one uh, essential way mindfulness of course meditative practice uh, particularly, and I think we may have talked about it when we did the uh, podcast, uh, Vipassana, insight meditation, and insight into the reality of impermanence so that we are not living in fear. And that uh, it was brought to the West by Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, and uh, Joseph Goldstein. Um, and we'll put something up in the show notes so you can link up yeah. because it's a, a tremendous practice. Um, I wanted to, knowing a little bit, because, you know, in terms of our back and forth before this podcast of what you were going through, yeah. I uh, fortunately have someone who is, is a friend, is part of our larger community, and one of the best psychotherapists that I know that I've met. I, I do podcasts with him, so I get a free consult, actually. That's oh, nice. what he laughs at that. <laughs> um, so interestingly enough, um, this this comes from both the Dalai Lama and, and I think you know who Robert Thurman is? Bob is just a, an amazing, yeah. amazing. You should have him on, on your podcast. Yeah, and Bob has a podcast. Absolutely. Um, the purpose of life is to be happy. As a Buddhist, I have found that one's own mental attitude is the most influential factor in working toward that goal. In order to change conditions outside ourselves, whether they concern the environment or relations with others, we must first change within ourselves. Inner peace is key. And so... Um, have you heard of, of Mark? Do you know who Mark Epstein is? Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. hundred yeah. yeah. percent. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, he, you know, he talks about in, you know, as he was in the earlier stages of being a psychotherapist, he was real suspicious of the nascent self-help 
movement and uh, wellness and so on. And, yeah. you know, I also have that same purview. Uh, <laughs> I'm um, with you on that. Yeah, yes. because, you know, as he says, you know, this is a way to, uh, you're drawn to Eastern thought, hoping to leapfrog over your personal issues, which nowadays is called spiritual bypass, right? Yeah. And, uh, and you know, you want to get rid of that self that horrible self, you know, everything that you've just described. Um, and, you know, what we, he calls it, what we want is a spa treatment from meditation, right? Meditation, <laughs> we'll go and have a very good spa treatment. Um, <laughs> and he, he goes on to say, though, um, I could tell from my own meditations that relaxation, while an occasional benefit, was not always accessible on demand. Um, and meditation come to mean being with my own mind, no matter what state it was in. And um, I love that. So, you know, I mean, and taking one thing, which is one of the, we may have discussed this, I don't remember, but uh, anger is something that I've had to deal with in my entire life, a little bit of inherited stuff from my dad and all that. Um, but he said this wonderful thing. And this is one of the things that, uh, that it becomes an insight after you do a little bit of work. Anger was an obstacle to love when it could not be acknowledged. And this is from uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama. And in order to not be a victim of one's anger, and I have felt very much like that, it was important to be able to recognize it with a compassionate attitude and that is, you know, part and parcel to everything that you just talked about, you know, and and the the depths of uh, depression that going through, and the way that we criticize ourselves, even in when we are in such pain, we're still like you piece of shit. You just well, yeah. you're too like precious or something, you know. I mean, <laughs> the way we talk to ourselves. I just read something the other day about. Uh, someone suggesting, and again, and the Buddhists have a lot going on, you know, some of it yeah. gets a little too, you're, it's so crystalline and clear. Ramdas used to talk about how Buddhists, you know, they, their whole um, philosophy and uh, their purview is so crystalline and exacting and it's wonderful and you get lost in it, you know, in the intellectual yeah. pursuit of it and so on. Um so uh the the I, I let me just quote also from the from his holiness um Dalai Lama narrow self-centered self-important cowardly people keep the cause of suffering self-centeredness close to their hearts they complain all the time thinking me me poor me cherishing the very forces of their downfall mocking the self-cherishing attitude helps it go away and opening to the suffering of others helps destabilize it so it's all about going reaching out first yeah. of all reaching oh. out or in reaching in is you know just being able to have a sense of humor about this the way that we are the self i love that term so much self-cherishing I mean, that's great. It's what we do on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, right? And it's sometimes the hardest thing to do because you spend so much time when you're in your own head about your own fear or self 
hatred or whatever you call it, yeah. this critic, you're so kind and so nice to others, but so hateful and so evil and mean to yourself, you know, and it's almost sort of, that's the most important thing is as long as everybody else likes me, as long as I've dotted every I and crossed every T with every person I come across, but the one I'm with 24 seven can, you know, take a back seat and wait. And I think that does come with, you know, you had mentioned like some stuff from the past. I'll tell you the way that my anger sort of, uh, manifested itself always is, um, easily disappointed in people to the point where I almost enjoy being disappointed because it shows I was right. I'm like, yeah, I knew, I knew I shouldn't trust it. You know what I mean? Like I knew I was going to be let down. I knew someone was going to forget. I knew someone wasn't, I know I'm not worthy of someone to, you know, and that would be a thing that kind of constantly would be a cycle, but I was putting all of my happiness and all of my self-worth in the actions of other people. Mm. And that clearly doesn't work. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster because we don't know what anybody else is going through at that moment, you know? And, and one thing I wanted to, to, to mention too, with follow up on that, and I mean, I may have said it when we were together with the, the three of us, Otiel, you and I, but one of the experiences recently that I had gave me this really crystallizing or really clarifying thought process about checking where I'm at in the moment. And I realized that there's only two ways of operating. It's either from a place of love or a place of fear. And mm -hmm. if you're operating from a place of fear, you really can't be open to the love that's around us, right? But if you're operating from a place of love, fear doesn't stand a chance. And I have, if I can keep it that simple and think about my anxiety or think about my post-game show or whatever, and I go, am I coming from a place of love or fear right now? That's a way for me to get back to, that's a way to calibrate almost and get back to center and realize like, okay, like I'm, I'm, it, it, it's a good, it's a, like one of those lane assist things on the new cars, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like, oh, you're drifting a little. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and it helps great. me a lot with realizing that. And, and I do feel, I mean, look at what's going on in the world right now. Mm. Look at all of these like laws and all of these restrictions and all of the hate. It's all based on fear, fear of not under fear of what we, you know, you don't understand. And, uh, it's it's really sad, but it's also like a magic eye puzzle for me now where it's like, I see it. I can see it. That it's, you're operating from love. You're operating from fear. Look at the way that you're handling the world we're living in today. Mm -hmm. And and yeah. that helps quite a bit. And I'm, I'm really just, I have to say too, one of the things that, you know, I've always gravitated, women in my life have been the most important, my grandmother, my mother, mm. my, these doctors, mm. my wife, um, this maternal love or just, man, I, I, I couldn't, I don't know what I would do without the women, like my sisters, the women in my life, man, they've just been so unbelievably helpful. And, uh, mm. to kind That's of, great. you know, put your tail between your legs and just say like, help, I need help. Um, it was a lot, but it, Thank God. And, and, you know, I think that one of the things that is most important, because a lot of people, you know, this therapy thing and this spa treatment, and everyone expects if I log into this online counseling, you know, I'll do it once or twice and everything will be fine. No. If you try a medication and it doesn't work for you, ah, those things don't work for me. 
No, you have to keep trying new things. If something's if you're doing something because you're scared to maybe go off of it because of side effects, or if you're talking to a therapist but you feel like ah, I don't want to start over, you have to keep chipping away. You have to keep until you find the things that work for you. And and I'm so happy that I kept trying because mm, I don't know how much big. I had left. I don't know how much I had left in me. Mm. You know, mm. I was running on fumes, man, mm. and it was it was really rough. And I think a lot of people are right now. I, I, I think a ton of people are puttering. 100%, 100%, especially, I mean, across the board, but young people these oh days. Oh, my God. I mean, trying to navigate how- this shit is just uh, beyond the beyond. Here's another little tidbit from Mark, um, and it's about, uh, it's again from the Buddhist view, which is where he comes from. A good enough can never be good enough. You know, that's in all of us. There's always a leftover feeling of something missing, something wrong, something hard to face, something out of reach, and that this can be beneficial as it prompts a search for the real. This could describe everything you just described. Even with good enough upbringing and the consolidation of what might be called a good enough, quote-unquote, self, right, according to the Buddhist logic, there will still be disquiet, confusion, insecurity, because we are all instinctively struggling to be something, independent, solid, coherent, self-sufficient, you know, Ramdas roles and identities, right? We yeah, are all yeah. doing, and we can never be, right? Even in healthy personality development, we emerge from childhood defending against the underlying truth of how contingent provisional and dependent we actually are right we Mm -hmm. we are defending that the persistence of such feelings far from being a symptom of parental failures which i like to blame everything on those poor (laughs) people who aren't even with us uh is actually the seed of wisdom Hmm. this right so that's taking a whole that's turning the whole thing around again there's a crack and that's how the light gets in that it can't happen you know without that Uh, so acknowledging the emptiness that frightens us whatever its source may be is the key to a deeper and truer understanding the emptiness say that one more time can you say that one more time that was beautiful And by the way, I am reading Mark Epstein, okay, everybody out there? So um, I just, it just completely in alignment with what I understand myself. Um, Fighting against this stuff only rigidifies our defenses and isolates us further. Acknowledging the emptiness that frightens us, whatever its source may be, is the key to a deeper and truer understanding. In other words, we are inviting in, it's like, you know, this beautiful practice, another Buddhist practice is, you know, feeding the demons. Uh, It's called uh, chode practice, where you invite the negative shit, the negative emotions, the negative thoughts. Come in. Ramdas actually used to have a thing uh, when he first came back from India and he was all fired up and on, you know, he was like lit up and he would talk about, yeah, you know, we have these, he called them schmooze. Yeah, you invite them in. Here, have a cup of tea. 
and sit with me, yeah. this horrible, dark thought, right? And, yeah. and then have your tea and then you can go. So a relationship where befriending this stuff rather than pushing it away is, is what, is, yeah. Oh man. And you know, it's that to me that falls right in line with that loving and fearing that thought. If you can love it and not fear it, right? maybe it'll stop feeling like it needs to scare you. Richard Schwartz has an amazing, with internal family systems, yeah. God, what an unbelievable man like he 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 i hope he goes down in history as what he deserves to be which is a real game changer in the in, in the world of marriage and family therapy and yeah. psychotherapy and to to sit with your parts and realize that your parts make up the whole um you know when i was in my real deepest funk we'll call it uh i tried to sit and work with an internal family therapist uh, internal family systems therapist and I couldn't handle it. It was almost too much. And, uh, that's when I really kind of started to realize that I needed some serious, uh, mm. help. But mm. that, that idea of sitting with your parts and sitting with your fears and sitting with your, um, you know, the things that keep you up at night and, uh, but understanding where they come from. I feel like we always have this thing as humans to keep peeling back layers of the onion, right? We want to get deeper and deeper. I feel sometimes it's important to keep, just put the skin back on and realize it's an onion and just, okay, like, why is it so terrifying to me? Like, like, why do I keep feeling the need to dig deeper and deeper? Let's just, it's an onion. It, it, it's okay. Like, what about this top layer? that, that terrifies me? Why do I feel the need to go further and further down to this? You know, and that always sort of helps me a little bit with, cause I tend to get too hyper analytical and mm -hmm. obsessive about yeah. thoughts. And, but again, it's, it's, a, it's an onion. Yeah. But on the other side to push back mm -hmm. meditation, the practice of meditation allows one to go deeper and deeper. And the, the analogy of the onion is stuff sloughs off as right. realization happens. It's more like that rather than why am I uncovering more of the same? So Right. Yeah. I'd rather let the onion peel itself yeah. if it, it needs to be peeled, I guess is my you know. Yeah. Um very but much. that's a that yeah. That's a really incredible way of thinking about it too. Just like understanding where that fear comes from and uh Yeah. And why we have it. And was it handed to us? You know, a lot of this, like you had said, I mean, a lot of this stuff we just hold on to because we don't know what else to, we have to blame someone. We have to blame something. <laughs> yeah. No, we right? love to do it too. Yeah. It yeah. can't just be life. Yeah. But. No, absolutely. Um, it's, it's just really, it's difficult and it takes an ingredient that I think you haven't mentioned. And uh, here's a story that I have told a billion times, um, but it's, it's apt every time I tell it because it reminds me and that's what it's about. I mean, the stuff here I'm, you know, sharing, doing podcasts, whatever courses that we do at uh, Love, Serve, Remember and the sharing that we do, the repetition actually is very important. Yeah. You know, and, uh, oh God. Yeah. So his stories actually comes from Krishnadas, 
who you know who that is. And um, he was in Mumbai, India, because he was chasing after Neem Karoli Baba. Trying, you know, because that's all we do is trying to spend as much time as we could with that thing. Because, you know, yeah. it's a precious right. jewel. It's Ram Dass Gombe. Anyhow, he ended up in a in a hotel in Mumbai. He did connect with some Indian people that were uh, with Maharaji because so, he he divined it all. He worked it out. He got the phone number. You know, he did the whole thing. You know, he did the research. <laughs> so yeah. anyhow, Maharaji said, okay, I'll come over to your hotel. He didn't actually, the Indian said, I'll get Maharaji over to the hotel. He says, that's fine. He'll come. So he yeah. came over and he's in the room and uh, doing, you know, you think of this incredible Siddha, a being that no longer is in polarization of any sort. Right? There's nothing right. rational going on. He didn't teach. He didn't write books. You know, nothing like that. So what was he doing? He found the bell that, uh, you know, you rang the bell to get service, tea and food and room service, right? So he'd ring the bell. The guy would come up and, you know, like flustered to be in the presence of such a being. <laughs> And he touches feet and everything. He'd go back down. He brought some water. He brought a tea. And anyhow, Maharaji just kept ringing the bell. And the poor shit had to come. Poor guy. Every time he had to. And there's no elevator. He's up 30, you know, flights of stairs. Oh, God knows wow. what it was. <laughs> and of course, it was delightful for everybody. Anyhow, so this, this check that. That's the atmosphere of this being, yeah. right? He's having gotcha. fun ringing the bell and the guy coming up, you know. <laughs> and the guy is getting the most incredible blessing to be in the presence of such a being. So um, at one point, so the, the uh, Indian man who was with him and was translating, because Maharaji supposedly, I mean, we know he knew everything and speaking English wasn't a problem. But playing the game in that body, he did not speak English. He looked at Krishnas and he said, courage is everything. And Krishna is like, Ooh, whoa. And the other guy, the, the, the translator and the longtime devotee said, but no, this Maharaji, this is, you know, Guru Kripa, Bhakti Yoga. The blessings, this is all the grace of the Guru. In other words, whatever happens, you do it. We don't do anything, you know, India. <laughs> we nothing going <laughs> And Maharaji, when this guy said that, he turned back to Krishnas. He said, courage is the most important, you know, is everything. He repeated. From that day on, Krishnadas, whenever he got into the kind of jam-ups that you were just describing earlier, yeah. he remembered that moment and he remembered what courage really is. And it's, it's uh, aligning oneself with the universal force whatever you know the force for it's star wars now. yeah um yeah. and and being able to uh to take the action and you know your case is the most i mean you just we just spent a whole bunch of time talking about it and i have to think that that was in you to break through this for yourself, for everybody around you, and so on. And then to share it, you know, on the platform that you have, an ability to share it with, that courage is, you know. I, I appreciate that. 
I, I think uh, I think that the 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 scariest part or the most uh, the part where I feel like I maybe needed the most uh, courage was to admit or surrender to. I just saying I need help. Like I, I don't think that's something that like uh, I mm. was um, really brought up to to do or say. Uh, I felt instead of a sign of weakness, it felt more like a the strength of that was like lifting something I never thought I could lift or mm. letting go of something I never thought I could let go of. Just being able to say, I and I remember that moment in particular. Um, I was feeling like dizzy, like physically dizzy. And, and, uh, I remember just saying, that's it. Like, I, I don't have it. I don't have it anymore. And it was just that moment of just saying, I, I genuinely, I remember I called I, my sister and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really scared and I, and I need some help mm. and I'm, and I don't know what to do. And, and I tried to explain everything and I didn't even know how to put into words. It was just something, you know, but that, part hearing myself say I needed help was that's the beginning of help yeah that's the beginning of change yeah and that's and I don't know if I ever I don't know if I ever knew that I had you know like we don't we're not taught that (laughs) not in this culture we're taught to hide it we're taught to don't show your feelings yeah suck it up and you know the whole all the football analogies that there are when the going gets tough, Vince Lombardi. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. Okay, you know that's our culture. You know our culture, yeah. which is more Mickey Mouse than it is Hanuman in India. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> you know. And hey, you know what? If that's being tough, then I'm proud to say I'm not tough. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know I, I'm Again, a wimp. It takes way more pr- courage to break through that constriction that we have in this society it takes yeah. courage to say i need some help you know and and i i i appreciate you uh providing all of these you know every week week after week and since you know the network began i mean you're you're providing these resources when i at my at the twilight at three in the morning when i'm laying there you know kicking my legs and tossing and turning and wondering what's wrong you know i would turn to be here now i would turn to sharon i would turn to Tiknat tan and and all of these different mm. you know mm. amazing resources and just let that let the voice let the tranquility like i'm not alone you know mm. I, there there's someone here on the other end to listen to and, and to talk to and uh i just hope that anybody who is going through anything Pay attention to it, acknowledge it, like realize that you, you know, there is another end to that, to that tunnel. And just, you know, it's a lot of work. It it was like a calendar year Mm. of shit, (laughs) you know? I mean, honestly, it should have a calendar with different poop on each month. <laughs> um, I don't know where that comes it was 25 from. 25 years of constipation. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then just yeah. the gates opened. But uh, I just recently uh, recorded a stand up special. Mm. And that was a pivotal moment for me because I was standing, and I'm happy that I had the presence to realize this, but I was standing backstage when they were like announcing me to go on, on stage. And it's a room full of people, and I'm about to go out and do 60 minutes of material. Literally a year ago, I was like hiding from the world. I was sitting in, my, you know, I was trying not to 
I was scared of my own shadow. And then, you know, to be able to go out and do that, um, that to me already was a success. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like just to be able to, I decided I was going to do it. I put it together. I, I got all the parts and all the, you know, the venue, the sound, the lights, this and that, and, and wrote the material, practiced it, did it mm. and, and completed it. And that to me was a benchmark. It was like, okay, uh, uh, literally that was proof because sometimes you think you're feeling better, but you're not and blah, blah, blah. You know, this was okay. I, I, mm. I did it. I, I did it. And, and I felt proud of that. Mm. And I'm, I don't use that word ever, but it was nice. Yeah, it was yeah. just a nice feeling, yeah, you know, really. and wow. it, even if no one sees it or if millions of people, I don't care to me, it's always going to be special because it was like the end of an era yeah. of shit. The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. end of an era. Yeah, really. Uh, I got something here that that is a little bit in in a microcosm representative of uh, some of what we're talking about. It's again from, you know, by the way, everybody, I'm referring to this book, The Zen of Therapy, Mark Epstein, Uh, just a fabulous book, uh, highly recommended. And anyhow, so he went uh, a couple of years before Ram Dass died. He went to uh, Maui to meet with him. He had, he had known him and, and so on, and they communicated over the years. And uh, so he went and just summarize a little bit. He was in the water. Ramdas would go in the water where he became completely buoyant and free because right. he was half par- yeah. paralyzed, right, and constricted. It was really hard. Um, and and they would go out, and he was out in the middle of the ocean, Ramdas was singing, row, row, row your boat. You know, it was just like this delightful thing. And everybody got into this oneness of being. And um, so then they went out after the swim, they went out and Ramdas would take, you know, however many, 20, 30 people out to lunch. And, you know, he loved doing that. And uh, then everybody's individual ego and self-identification came to the fore just what would you like to drink and everybody had i want my tea it's got to have you know 20 percent, two percent milk or you know whatever coffee whatever they were doing it was like it started to make mark crazy he said ordering the iced tea was difficult enough for the group imagine what happened when it came to the soup and you know i was full uh, he said i was full of sour and disapproving thoughts. But Ramdas was oblivious to the egos flashing around him. Uh, and uh, so what happened? I had been doubting what I had felt in the ocean, as if our group's resurgence of personality negated what had seemed so real and alive, so connected and true just minutes before. Wow. But that fe- fleeting smile, Ramdas just connected with him across the table, uh, showed me where Ramdas was really at. He sensed my distress, but he was able to hold the paradox I was struggling with. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's Ramdas. Uh, both realities were true, and the one did not ob- obviate the other. This is extremely like important. Yeah. He a, being able to hold the paradox. It was a therapeutic moment if there ever was one. The ocean and the restaurant, the soul and the ego, innocence and experience, relatedness and separateness, they were all two sides of one coin. All these beings had once been my mother. 
Wow. And they were all my children. And now here we all were having lunch together, a pot of souls, in an endless stream of family get-togethers. Hey? It's so sweet and so right on. I mean, I, I wow. just... And, and the other thing, you know, to, to say, which is something... It's so core to everything that I can relate with this. Okay, just what's our down-to-earth real reality? Real reality, if there's such a word. Yeah. Um, and Mark says here, and just he says it eloquently, the path I have outlined in this, you know, eventually leads to the realization that simple kindness is the fuel of the peace of mind we all crave. When the mind object drops away, even for an instant, all kinds of latent interpersonal possibilities emerge for connection, empathy, insight, joy, and dare we say, love. How to make this happen is a very tricky question. <laughs> <laughs> but but that that is what it is. Your, you know, and just you, you know, your sharing of this stuff uh, is what we're talking about. Um yeah. and uh again from the I'm sorry, I'm reading all this stuff, but just I got so excited I couldn't stop myself. The I, the, the main please. theme of Buddhism, the Dalai Lama says, is altruism, altruism based on compassion and love. And uh, the, the found, one foundational, by the way, Tibetan practice is mother recognition. It's what you kind of were talking about before in relation to how you turn to that essence in this process that you went through. Yeah. yeah. He said, in order to have a sense of closeness and dearness for others, you must first train in a sense of their kindness through using as a model a person in this lifetime who was very kind to yourself and then extending the sense of gratitude to all beings. Since in general, in this life, your mother was the closest and offered the most help, the process of meditation begins with recognizing all other sentient beings as like your mother. So he's absolutely wow. defining what you just said about what you went yeah. through and where, where you wow. turned. And further than that, he <laughs> says, our future as a humans uh, lies uh, at the feet of women mm -hmm. and the compassion that they exude to their children who then grow up and then have, you know, a much, that, that we have a possibility of that ex extension of that compassion to to all beings, and that, then yeah, our lives change. And boy, do we That's need so that? True. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, I mean, I I I am an acquaintance of someone I know is going through an illness, and I had a conversation with his wife, and uh, just the fact, just how she turns on that caregiver, um, researcher, nurse doctor um advocate like channel like it's second nature you know um i thought about if i was in the situation and my wife was ill like i don't know how i would obviously something turns on and you take care of that person that you love but 
I feel like I'd be just continuously asking, like, what can I do to make you feel better? Where my friends, she just inherently had it. It's just this, it's amazing that, that maternal thing it's, it's, and, and, and you said I turned to them, but also they presented themselves to me. Like it was Mm. the the doctors I spoke, they, it could have been a a male, but the universe gave me what I needed, I guess. And it was, uh, they, they, I, I'm genuinely, and look, I know a lot of people go through a lot of things. I just, I'm one man that I hit a patch there and I, I, that patch takes a lot of people down. And, uh, if we can talk about this more and, and freer and more vulnerably, maybe we can help some people realize that it doesn't have to be the the thing that takes them down or, no. or whatever it may be, you know, not even a maybe, not even a maybe yeah. be able to share this stuff. It's really what it's all about. And well, thank uh, you and, because, and dealing with this and not bypassing it through spiritual blah, blah, you know, all the way to meditate, meditation or anything that we do, you know, not dealing yeah. with this kind of a thing is, um, it's just avoiding, it's just avoidance and using spiritual ego. And, you know, and, yeah, it's not productive. I, I, no. And I think the thing I need to work on a lot now is just, uh, how to make peace with the fact that a lot of people aren't willing to do the work that needs to be done. You know, yeah. um, that part's hard because sometimes you can see all you need to do is just put in, just, just be vulnerable for just, just it's going to hurt, but I promise it's going to feel better on the other end. And it's just not in some people's makeup to do that. Yeah, and yeah. and that part is hard because you can see, yeah. it's like watching an addict go yeah, down, yeah. you know, it it's, you're addicted to that reality, that, that, that person, that, yeah. that, you know, perception of what you're supposed to be. And it's, uh, that's the most dangerous thing I think in our, you know, world right now. Yeah. Well, but we can just, uh, again, to quote Ramdas, work on ourselves yep. and change our own hearts in order to radiate that out to other people gives them an opportunity to dig in and, and realize it's, it's okay. There, I did a uh, podcast, Mike, recently uh, with uh, a good friend, Danny Goldman, who was with us in India actually back in the day. And he wrote Emotional Intelligence, and I keep, every time I think of him, and then I always mention that book, which is a huge New York Times bestseller many years ago, um, everyone's got to own a copy of that because we yeah. we are deficient emotionally, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. um, but he wrote a book, came out at the end of last year. It's someone to have if you, uh, you know, on, on you and O'Teal on the podcast. It's called yeah. Why We Meditate. Uh, the Science and Practice of Clarity and Compassion. It's an excellent book, and it's done with him and a teacher of his and and friend named Sokni Rinpoche, who comes from a family of the uh, the greatest meditation teacher of the last you know century and a half or something, uh, Tulku Urgin Rinpoche, uh, and all of his sons were amazing teachers. Uh, one of them is this Tsokni. One of them is Mingjo Rinpoche, who I've, all, I've had on the podcast, who's extraordinary as well. And um, Tsokni was talking about he, what he called essence love. That thing that is 
behind any kind of contractual arrangement around that word. Okay, is the best right. way I can put it. Right. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. And so <laughs> yeah. that's essence love. And he was describing it in a way, trying to get us to be able to understand what he was talking about. And he eventually he said, it's that deep seated feeling. It's of okayness. You know, you just let your breath okay. out. It's okay. That okayness. And I realized, you know, and I was fortunate to be in India when I went back with Maharaj, with Ramdas and met Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba. And I, we were magnetized by that, of course, the unconditionality that was a pool that you were in of love. But it was right. that, it was okay. The mm. sense of okayness. That's a terrific, ter I, I love that term and I picked it up from them so and great. I'm just sharing that with everybody. No, there is I, a sense of okayness and you've gone through the fire to get to that okayness, I believe. Thank you. Thank you. And, I, and, and when I went to that doctor, the first thing I said was, I just want to be okay. I swear, mm, like, it right. literally, the words came, that came out of my mouth was, I just want to be okay. Yeah. With, yep. And I didn't want no more, no less. I just wanted to be okay. Yeah. And that's that's amazing to hear. Thank you. That's Really yeah, that's yeah, wonderful. Hey, great to have you here. Mike, yeah, can catch up like this. You know, aren't podcasts great? You they know, really are. I have and a whole, yeah. uh, I mean, years of different friendships, and you know, I come back to people. We do another one. We catch up. It's like, especially yeah. during the pandemic, it was like invaluable to be able to oh to God. have that uh, to go on. But uh, thank God we had yeah. that. So. Um, People want to get in touch and just be able to come out to a show. Where should they go, Mike? Oh, okay. Uh, it's uh, MikeFinoia.com, F-I-N-O-I-A.com. Just think of Sequoia. Uh, Sequoia, just with the Y yeah. and the I. And the, um, MikeFinoia.com has my dates, uh, uh. at MikeFinoia on all the the you know social, social media stuff. Mm. And uh, Comes a Time is the podcast that I do with Oteal that you were on, and yeah. we would be honored to have you back anytime yeah. it's an yeah, honor tell. to know you and i i appreciate you uh having me on to chat yeah and, i'd love uh, to get back and you guys uh, everybody uh, who doesn't know O'Teal burbage is of course he's the bass player for the what do they call dead him and company. dead and company dead and company yeah, yeah he's uh and he's eight years now i think with them and then 17 years with the allman brothers right. and yeah. uh he's an amazing musician he does wonderful uh, music on his own and yep. he's worthwhile checking out it yeah actually love to get tell O'Teal, let's get together again absolutely thank you so much really so and, uh, uh yeah we'll put this in the show notes where you can get connected uh with mike i'd like to are you going to be out west at all um, yeah, uh, in September and, or in November, oh, yeah? I think I'll be out in the yeah. no November. I'll be in the San Francisco area. Uh -huh. So, okay. I'll let you know. Okay. Well, you gotta then, come uh, down to LA, you know, I don't. <laughs> oh yes, totally. Yeah. Once the special comes out, I'll go out to LA yeah. and kind of help yeah. promote it yeah, and stuff. Right. So okay. I'll definitely be seeing you then. Okay. Perfect. That's right. I forgot you were down there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Mike, for being here and sharing. It's really invaluable. We are thank all you. we all go through something very similar at different points in our life, one way or the other. And to acknowledge it is, you know, very it's courage, as they say. Thank uh, you. So again, everybody, this is mind rolling at Be Here Now Network. Go to beherenownetwork.com. 
slash mindrolling and slash Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg and Krishnadas and Alan Watts uh, and Ramdas, of course. Uh, so do take advantage and uh, we shall see you next week. 